So I want you to think with me for a minute about having peace for a moment. Just consider it in your own life. I would be more inclined to believe, like me, most of the time that feels elusive. But picture for just a minute a scene where you're at great peace. Just picture it in your mind. Now for me, that peace would be sitting on a beach next to my wife, some really nice chairs, a nice table between us, some nice cold beverages, a a Kindle by me, and an umbrella, only because basically the sun sees me and it goes, burn. And then the sun sees my wife and it says, bronze up, you beauty. In fact, when we come back from a trip anywhere in the South, people say to me, oh, where'd your wife go? I said, she went with me to Jamaica, shut your mouth. That's what I tell them, in the name and love of Jesus. That's the kind of guy I am. Let me take you back to the scene. I know I'm getting away from it now. We're sitting on this beach, and it's peaceful. There's no pressure. There's no burdens. There's nothing. Feel good? Now can you feel it being interrupted? Anybody know what that's like to have that peace interrupted? I mean, it comes in all sorts of ways, doesn't it? You're in this moment, it feels great, and something comes upon your circumstance, and you're like, the peace is gone, it is far from me. And, and it happens in little ways and in great ways. Some of them we cause on our own, don't we? I was thinking back actually today, maybe just because it was Mother's Day, of one of my wife's first, it wasn't Mother's Day particularly, but one of our early experiences together, we decided to go to the grocery store with our one child at the time. We had a really great time together. We got to the car, got in, my wife Jane put Joel in the back seat in the car seat, got in, closed the door, and we drove off. And what ensued was a really meaningful conversation. Now, the grocery store's at about 40th Street, and we were down to about 22nd when I had a revelation, but just to, pr- to make it clear, when I say a conversation, I mean I was talking, and my wife is such a good listener. She was listening. So at 22nd Street, I realized it was time for a response, and she hadn't given. When I turned, she was not in the car. I'm glad you laugh about it, because it's not the feeling I had. It's actually the only time in my life I kind of wanted to believe in the whole theology of some kind of lifting of people out of heaven quickly. (laughs) I think I would have rather been left. So I turned around and went to get her with very, very little peace and found her walking very patiently on the road waiting for me to figure this out. She never did ask why it took me so long, though I would think it was the question. Can, Can you picture losing peace in that moment? And it happens in lots of ways. That was a small, simple one, but it it happens so much in day-to-day living, doesn't it? Oh, I think we're finally on top of things financially, and I get home, and the fridge is going on the fritz. And I don't have money in the bank for that. And I come home, and I find out two of my kids need braces. You come home and find out there's another problem with your furnace. Financially, we feel those things. We think we're at peace, and it alleviates and misses us. We have it in all sorts of other arenas. It happens when we come home and we begin to build a pattern of conflict. And you're almost like, I'm going to get to my interaction with my spouse, and I'm kind of worried about what's going to happen in this. And peace eludes us. It happens as our kids get older and they enter the conflict game. It happens in places, I think, of our students. I mean, how much earlier are kids faced with a lot more stress just over what they're asked to produce in school? And just what they're doing, they're like, how can I have peace with all the homework I have? You know, what their lives are like are becoming more intense. Or what's it like for a kid just walking down the hallway of a school in middle school? 
trying to survive what other kids are saying and how they're living and depicting life. And that doesn't even begin to think of stresses we get as someone's in a single parenting facet and they're dealing with an ex that's very difficult and all the stresses of that. We move into adulthood with our kids and they venture into ways that we don't approve of or live like and our peace eludes us. And then there are those heavy things. You go to the doctor and you get a diagnosis, a diagnosis not just of illness but maybe of potential terminal illness. Someone you love deeply dies unexpectedly. You get fired from a job. You live under the confines every day of a work you see no way out of, and it's a mess. Can you live with me and talk about the fact that we don't know where peace is? And sometimes we sit in here, whether Christians or people that wouldn't even espouse faith, and we go, where is it? Where is there peace to be had? And especially as Christians, we say, God, where are you? Are you going to help me and fix this? My circumstances are horrible. Help. And what we want to do today, in the middle of a series we've titled Breakthrough, is we hope to look at the scriptures and look at how God responds and see if he doesn't have peace for us in the midst of the storm. With this in mind, I want to begin looking at a very specific passage, just a few words of it. It's from one of the prophets. Now, the prophecies, the prophets are one of many genres within the Bible. The Bible is a collection of works, for those of you who don't know, different kind of literary forms, some historical, some that come poetically, some that give prophecy and kind of what the future will be like from the past. There are all these beautiful things written by over 40 different people over 1,500 years from all different areas of life and all different walks of life, from a doctor to a fisherman to a priest to a shepherd, all sorts of different kind of cross-sections. And in case you're investigating Christianity and even wondering, could this be plausible, just explore the interesting kind of fiber of the scriptures that all these different authors over all these different histories give one unifying message. And where we want to start today is with this one prophecy, this beautiful prophecy that Isaiah gave, one of the many, there are over 300 prophecies that tell us Messiah will come. That's what Israel looked for. We are in this horrible, underpinning, struggling life, and we need peace and a new way. And God kept saying, Messiah will come, Messiah will come, Messiah will come. And another thing to explore if you're searching, there are over 300 prophecies that tell of Jesus coming that he fulfills every single one of them. If you're one of those that have lots of doubts, just explore how could all of these prophecies come together in one person and at least begin to consider that. But where we want to begin is with one of these words about this Messiah that's coming. I'm going to show you the text, but I want you to hear it too. It's one of those things that sometimes you can see a passage and go, that's one piece, but I want you to hear it. I want you to be immersed in the power of this prophecy. And to do that, I want to take you to a particular rendering of this prophecy. If we go back to the 1700s, Handel wrote this oratorio called The Messiah. He pulled together many of the prophecies that would be fulfilled in Jesus, and he wrote a very artistic, wonderful piece about what that would be like. But what you get is the passion and the power of these prophecies. And so just this one, which tells of this Son of God coming, I want you to read and to listen to. So take a look at the screens and take it in.
I love that rendition of those very words from Scripture. And the reason I picked it and the reason I wanted you to hear it that way is I think Handel actually captures something in the very language of that it's written. In the Hebrew language, there is a building to this very prophecy. In fact, if you were to think of it this way kind of visually, it would be as if it builds up higher and higher with each statement about who Messiah will be. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. It's a culmination. It's speaking to us in power about who Jesus is, about who Messiah will be. And why it crescendos it here is even afterwards in the passage, it says, of his peace and kingdom, there will be no end. What the prophet is promising is that when Messiah comes, there will be a new way to live, a way to live in peace in the midst of life. Now, it's a beautiful statement. It's a beautiful idea that we would say we believe as Christians. But if we're dead honest with each other, what do we say? Why don't I have that? Why do I still struggle? Why is life still difficult? Where is the peace that was promised through Jesus? It's a fair question. And I think for us to be honest and explore it, what we need to look at is what did Jesus say about his peace? What did he offer to us through peace? How did he speak to his very disciples about this peace he would bring? So we're gonna look at some of Jesus' final interactions with his disciples in one of the accounts of his life. At this particular time, he's with his closest friends. It's the night before he's going out. Basically, this night he will go out, be taken, and it will lead to his crucifixion. He knows it's coming. He's giving them very important teachings. He's saying to them, I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna be sacrificed. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna rise. But in the midst of it, my going I will give you my spirit who will be in you and with you always. In other words, I will leave in bodily form. I won't stay here to be with you, but my presence will be in a greater way. And as he's telling that, he then speaks about his peace. In John chapter 14, in this conversation, this is what he says. Peace, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. Now, oftentimes, if we think of what maybe we would say when we think of the world, think of what in general humanity believes, we would say that what peace is is the absence of strife. What it really means to have peace is take away all the stresses of my life and make it clean and easy and comfortable. When I can live without stress and struggle, I'll live at peace. And Jesus is clarifying for you, I'm giving you peace. And by the way, when we hear the word peace in the scriptures, all the way from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation, it always means much differently than the absence of strife. It means to have wholeness, to be in right relationship, to be blessed, and have rightness even with the presence of God in each other. It's much more about reconciling and about relationship than circumstance. And that's what Jesus is beginning here. I'm giving you a peace, but it's not the way you think about it. I mean, if you're anything like me, what I think is, I'll have peace if this happens. Once this is better, then I'll have peace. I'll have peace as long as this doesn't happen. We give kind of conditions. As long as these conditions are met, then I'll have peace. Now, now Jesus further clarifies it. This isn't his only statement. He goes on to talk to his disciples about what matters most. And he uses this in this whole discussion. He talks about himself being a vine and them being branches. He says, what will truly give you life is to be connected to me, 
Just like branches don't grow unless they're fed, you connect to me, you are fed by me, and that's your life. And then he clarifies again about his peace. I have told you these things. I've told you about being connected to me. I've told you things will not be easy. I've told them so that in me, there's a different kind of peace you find in me that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You will not be free of struggle and stress. Now, I think all of us know that intuitively, don't we? But I think we always want God to fix it. But take heart. I've overcome the world. I've won. There's a victory. The resurrection of Jesus solidified that God conquered death and he conquered sin. We know that he'll come back one day and everything will be made right. And we know in the in-between time, his kingdom is moving and advancing, but it's not complete. And so he's speaking to us in a powerful way about this. It's not that I'll fix it for you. It's that I'll meet you in it. You, You see, that was Israel's struggle. When they thought Messiah would come, and they knew he was coming. They knew Rome was oppressing them. And it, Rome was oppressing every other country, pretty much. They were dominating on the world front. And what they believed was Messiah would come and he would take over physically the kingdom. And he would have his kingship and reign physically in power. He would dominate everyone else. What they thought was God would come and fix their struggle. In fact, it's the way we all think, isn't it? I mean, I do it. I'm sure you do. What we really say is, I want peace from my circumstance. God, give me peace from what's going on right now. Help fix the struggles I'm having. And what Jesus came to do is fix us from the inside out. He came to give us something inside. In fact, it's just simply this. Jesus gives us peace in our circumstances. Not peace from our circumstances. Peace in our circumstances. This is a hard concept, I think, for us to get in a lot of ways. I feel like it's a theme that's gone on again and again for me in my life. When Jane and I were first married and we began to have kids, uh, we didn't sleep. Anybody not sleep and their kids were young? Just show of hands. Anyone still recovering from not sleeping when their children were young? And those of you who are still not sleeping probably have coffee in front of you. I always love to watch who goes to get coffee. It's normally people are like, I haven't slept in a week, keep me awake. I mean, we understand when it, so what do you think my prayer was when my kids were little? God, make my kids sleep. Make, shut them up. Make them sleep. Help me. I mean, I went to work exhausted. I was a social worker. People wanted me to be very attentive to their problems. Do you know what I did when they were talking to me about their problems? I pulled the hair on the back of my neck so I stayed awake. They, I, they probably still look back at that counselor. What was going on with him? They would leave my office in my 10-minute break. I'd close the door, put my feet by the door in case someone tried to open it to just close my eyes for 10 minutes and maybe I'd have enough energy. Can you understand why I prayed, God, let me sleep? Guess what the prayer changed to over time? God, meet me in my lack of sleep. Help me find you in this. You know, we worship a God who says he came in the flesh. That's the word for Jesus. Emmanuel is God in the flesh, God with us. Jesus didn't come wealthy, and he didn't come with ease. He came in great poverty. He met people in great despair, and he said, I'm with you. The peace God offers is in our circumstances, not from our circumstances. And I simply want you to consider that today. 
And what I want to do with these last few minutes of this is look in kind of how did the church understand this? How did the New Testament church live this out? How did the early followers of Jesus understand this peace they were to have? And much of our understanding of the early church comes through just a few writers, one in particular named Paul. For those of you who don't know who Paul was, he was actually a very high-ranking Pharisee who really persecuted the early Christ followers. His job in defending Judaism was to go out and get them thrown into prison and at times stoned and killed. He was a terrorist, we would say today, towards Christians. He had a revelation that God revealed who he was to him and said, why are you persecuting me? And Saul, at a time his name, became Paul, and he became the biggest champion of Christianity. Now, I tell you this because I want you to hear what his life is like before you hear his advice. Paul went through misery. In fact, the Holy Spirit told him immediately, you are going to suffer all throughout your life to advance who I am in the world. But again, God offers him peace in the midst of it. Paul goes through moments where he's in jail. Some of his friends have been placed in jail recently, and they've been killed. He and his friend are in jail, and guess what they do in jail? They worship God in the middle of the night. They sing. They have a little karaoke time. Does that seem crazy? I think there's something we need to ask. Either Paul was off his rocker or he knew something. He discovered something about God's presence in his circumstances. Paul went from city to city, oftentimes chased out of town, one time stoned where they thought he was dead and he just survived. There were times where he wanted to go to cities and his brothers and sisters said to him, don't go there, you'll be killed. And he goes, I'm not worried about it. God's told me what I need to do. What happens to me doesn't matter. I am at peace. I want you to understand that because I want you to hear the words from a man who understands it. And so this is a letter that he wrote, this first one. We're just going to go through two. This first one, he wrote the letter to a church in Philippi, which is a thriving cosmopolitan, metropolitan area, but a lot of oppression to these early Christians because they were violating what culture was. And most of them grew up impoverished and struggling while there'd be a few wealthy. And Paul, in the middle of this letter, speaks to people about how they're to live. And he says this in Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This uh, passage, as I was even reflecting on it this week, a memory came back to me that I felt connected with this. When I was in my early 20s, when we were thinking we were going to be rock stars and traveling with this band, we actually had a, a retreat up in Alpena at this long lake, was the lake we were at. And uh, nobody laughed when I said that. I'm really surprised. Like, oh, yeah, whatever. I thought I was going to be, okay? So we're on this lake, and, uh, and I'm really, I'm in a lot of turmoil in my life at this point. And I remember sitting by the lake, and I'm looking out, and there's, the waves are really moving on this particular day. And I don't know how to explain it. I'm not saying God spoke to me audibly, but this thought came into my mind. I knew it was from God. And it was another story in the Bible. It was a story of Peter and his friends in this boat where a horrible storm was going about, and they saw Jesus walking on the water by them. And you got to understand, that was crazy and freaked them out enough. Peter boldly says, Jesus, let me come to you. And Jesus says yes, and he walks on the water to Jesus. And he's looking at Jesus, and he's walking. And then it says he looked down at the waves, and he fell down in the water. And it was clear, as God brought that memory to my mind, what it meant, which was simply this. 
in your circumstances, when you look at them, you fall into them. Somehow when you look at me, you rise above them. I can't tell you it made no sense, but it meant everything. It was so clear and so true. And I think it's so true of actually what this passage says. I think what Paul is saying is, I understand this. You can actually be at peace in the midst of what you go through. Look to him, not this. Look to him, not this. Look at him, not all that's around you. That's ultimately what I think this is saying. In fact, I love this. He says, with thanksgiving. You see, when we're thankful, what it is is we're looking at God for all the good in our lives. In the midst of the mess, we're focusing on what's good and what's of him, and we're saying, thank you. Thank you for this. In the midst of my trouble, thank you that I actually have a wife that loves me and I'm with. In the midst of my financial mess, thank you that I still have a home. In the midst, you get the idea? There's a thankfulness that happens. And let me just give you one more aside in this. I've sadly heard pastors preach about this, this idea. Because this is a command, don't be anxious, they, they tell us that we're sinning when we're anxious. Don't you see it's wrong? Don't be anxious. And I think sadly, while it's an imperative, it misses the heart of this. See, what I think God is saying is, I love you like a dad. And when my kids have trouble, I want them to come to me. And I will tell them, don't be anxious. I'm with you. I may not fix everything. I may not do what you want, but I'm right here with you. Don't be anxious. It's an encouragement. It's a commanded encouragement, not a a chastisement that you've been anxious. But an encouragement. Don't settle in this way. Don't look at the waves and fall into it. Don't sit and just stew over every miserable situation. Call out to me. God loves to hear from you. Call out to me. Tell me what you need. And I'm telling you, whether you get exactly what you want or not, you get him. And your circumstances will come and go. We all know it. Even if it gets better for a moment, does it keep going that way? We can never guarantee that. But when we know he's with us, it can change everything. I wonder if some of us today need to stop looking at our circumstances in the water and start looking at the Jesus and looking at what's good. Finding thankfulness and asking him, be with me, be with me, help me, be with me. Give me peace in this instead of fix this and then I'll be with you. Let me take it one step farther to one other letter that Paul writes. He uses this beautiful uh, metaphor from the day he would have lived in. All, all around, everywhere these people were, there were Roman soldiers. They dominated everything. And so the very armor that the soldiers wore, Paul uses as a metaphor to all Christians that we need to put on armor, spiritual armor, things that help us walk through life the way God has for us. Now, he speaks of all these different things, a breastplate of righteousness. He calls it a belt of truth. The idea that when you put this belt on, truth is girded up. They use the belt to hold up their clothes so they didn't stumble. But this other piece that he uses relates to us, specifically today. This is what he says in this letter. Have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, in this ancient time, in the ancient world, the shoes that a soldier wore had uh, these specific... um, they're kind of like cleats, I guess you would call them today, that came out of the base of these, these uh, shoes. And what it would do is it would allow them to hold their ground in the midst of battle, kind of digging in so they weren't pushed back, they didn't stumble, they didn't fall. 
That's the comparison that Paul is making here. There is something about you being ready, about you being aware of living in the truth that you have the gospel of peace. I am believing this today. I think one of the big things the church, and not just our church, but the church today in our world has been robbed of is the gospel of peace. I think we live incredibly busy lives which rob us of it, and we live forgetful lives that don't think or understand clearly what Jesus came to do. You see, what Jesus came to do was bring peace back between us and God. And we, we may not even realize it, but we know it intuitively because I want you to think of anything in your life you think will bring you peace. And you and I both know whatever you choose, it comes and goes. And even when you get it, it doesn't give you true peace. It can give you momentary alleviation of stress, but you know deep down inside it doesn't satisfy. There's a beautiful image for this for us. When we speak in the church about Christ living and dying and rising for us, we talk over and over again about what we call our mess, what is sin, the things we do that break God's heart and separate us from him and cause destruction and death and mess in life. And all through Israel's history, they'd always look back to the Exodus. This time when they lived in bondage in Egypt where they were enslaved by this other group of people. They had no way out. They begged and cried and there was no way out until after 400 years, God came to them and delivered them from this slavery and bondage. Ultimately, through a final, final ultimate sacrifice where they would sacrifice a lamb and put the blood over the doorpost and they would be saved. God would bring them out of Egypt. He would part the Red Sea. He would split it for them and they would walk through it. And Egypt would die behind them and they would have new life. That is an image. Not only did it happen historically, it's an image for us of the peace Jesus brings by freeing us from the slavery to sin. By freeing us from the bondage of an unreconciled relationship with God himself and with each other. And unfortunately, I think we forget that. And what I want to do today is have that anchor in for us in a new way. Not just to be reminded in our head, but in our hearts. Not just to be thinking about it in the moment, but to know every day I'm to put on my feet the gospel of peace, that which will remind me God gave me new life and peace. And so to do this today, I want to do something kind of unique with you in the midst of the message. And what I want to do is actually have us sing for a few minutes together. And so... Um, I'm going to guide us through this song together to sing. If I don't get my cable caught too much here. And I want us to engage in a different way because of this. I really felt like instead of just speaking the truth, maybe there's something powerful in us singing the truth. And just so you know, we think every denomination has great things. The, one of the things the Wesleyan Church brings to the church overall is we don't just talk about our truth, we always sing it. So how fitting that we would do this in the church together. So I'm asking that God would speak to you in this, that it wouldn't just be an exercise in singing, but that somehow God would connect your heads and hearts to it. And for those of us who are Christ followers, we would find ourselves renewed in the gospel of peace. For those of us who might be searching today, you might even hear God's whisper say, I'm here, and you might follow him today. You might declare these words as, I'm not a slave to fear, I'm a child of God, because you receive his forgiveness. That's all it takes. Let's sing this together. I'm no longer a slave to fear. 
I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. God wants to bring you through, through the struggle and the turmoil to a place of peace with him. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. Split the sea. You split the sea so I could walk right through it. My fears are drowned in perfect love. You rescued me so I could stand and sing. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. God, seal that truth in us today. Let us rest in it and live in it in your holy name. Amen. I want to finish before I pray over you with one kind of final thought. It's a, these are the words of Jesus to his followers. It's a version, a translation called the Message Translation where the, this pastor particularly translated in contemporary language for us. But I want you to hear it as God's speaking to you today in your circumstances, not from your circumstances. And these are the words that Jesus said to his followers and he says to us today. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? He wrote to a group that was highly religious, but you might even say other things. Are you burned out on trying to make your marriage work? Are you burned out on your work life? Are you burned out in parenting your kids? Are you burned out in your circumstances and strained relationships and friendships? Whatever that is for you, are you burned out in any way? Come to me. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Do you hear that invitation? It's the invitation of God to say, I'm not gonna free you from your circumstances. I'm going to meet you in them. And you are going to live a new way. Now I thought just to put an exclamation point on this today, I want to ask you all to stand. And I believe there are three groups of you that I think God specifically wants to pour out uniquely on today. One of them are those of you who would say, I have never known Jesus. That he's offering an invitation to you to respond, to say, you can follow him. Simply admit 
your despair and your need and your sinfulness, and he begins to fill you and give you his peace. And I'm, wait till I get to all three groups, but if you're in that group, in a minute, I'm gonna ask you to sit. There's a second group of you, I think you're going through a circumstance right now that you keep saying, free me from it, get me out of it, make it better. And I think God's spirit to you to say is saying, just ask me to meet you in it. And I'm gonna ask you to sit if that's you. And then finally, I think there's a third group of you that you love hearing this idea, and maybe you're, or maybe you're at least intrigued by it, that God actually wants to connect to you personally. You do realize that we believe as Christians there's not somebody that gets closer to him than others. It's not a select few. Every one of us have access. And you're going, if that's true, I want more access. So if you're in any one of those three groups, I just want you to be seated. Just be seated right now. Great. And let's just pray blessings over those in that place today. God, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. We thank you that you have come to transform life and take us out of the pit and the crud of death and bring new life to us. We thank you that you're with us in all things. I pray for those today that have responded for the very first time that your spirit would uniquely fill them and they would begin a journey of faith in you growing. I pray you'll put others around them and they won't walk alone. I pray for others today that have a difficult circumstance that they're going, you know what? I want out of this that even as they've sat today and said, okay, meet me in this, I pray uniquely your peace would just flood them now. And I pray you would meet them and walk with them through it. They would get the unforced rhythms of your life and grace. They would be with you and walk with you. And it would bring new perspective and life to them in this. And then finally, God, I pray for those today that would say, you know what? I don't hear from God and I want to. Lord, pour out an understanding on them. I pray it would be a warmth from you. They'd even feel the warmth of you from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. I pray it would be an opening of their ears that they would begin to get ideas and thoughts that are from you, that they would hear the whispers of your love for them saying, I love you, I cherish you, I am with you, I am for you, and I will walk with you in this thing. And we pray blessing. Just pour out blessing now in your powerful and holy name. Amen.